to boldly go where no man has gone before. Hold on to your underpants. It's time for Aftershocks with Steve Grillo. Is it? Is it really time for Aftershocks with Steve Grillo? Why? Why look at my clock? Yes, it is. Oh, my God. It's Steve Grillo, and you're listening to Aftershock. And we have an awesome show today. I'm really excited because I got some great people here in the studio. I have an amazing guest calling in. We have one of the biggest FBI agents that ever, ever was an FBI agent. Jo- <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, at least he wasn't a giraffe. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> who, who, the, who the fuck wants to be a giraffe? <laughs> uh, we have uh, Joaquin, <laughs> Joaquin Garcia, also known as my friend Jock, also known as Jack Falcone. Uh, he was an FBI agent that brought down more people than Donnie Brasco undercover. He brought down half of the Gambino crime family. He's going to be calling in. But I'm very excited because I have a great group of people here in the studio with me today. And I guess it's time for introductions before we start slandering everybody. Uh, my first person I'm going to introduce is one of my favorite bitches in the world. Uh, her name is... Hello, you're going to pay attention or you're just going to fucking scroll on your phone all day? I'm, look- I'm looking at Joaquin. Joaquin. I'm, just, yeah. I'm following up with Joaquin. I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to give you a last name so people you won't find uh, okay. Monique, mm-hmm. who is the host of a very, very huge podcast, who, which I admire very much because I, I want to follow in her footsteps. Oh, you're so cute. Uh, yeah. she, she, does a, she does the Radio Gunk podcast, which is a Howard Stern-based podcast, which is... Cause a lot of controversy. Oh shit! Doesn't has it? Right. Man, you uh, you know what? Mm-hmm. I, when I when I had a group of friends and we called ourselves, we had an association. It was called S. It was called the Association of Sauce Stirrers. <laughs> okay, <laughs> people who like to stir the sauce. You are a definitely honorary member of S. I love being an honorary member of S <laughs> because you stir the fuck. You stir the sauce like nobody's business. Holy shit! I I couldn't be more hated. On on yeah. the interwebs, if I tried. Well, because you know what, she she does a her podcast is Howard Stern based, and she she calls it like it is. It's what's going on every day on the Howard Stern show. Why Howard Stern is not being the way Howard Stern used to be, and she picks it apart. And either you love Howard Stern, or you hate him, but she calls it like it is, and people don't like that because. No, nobody I, wants to hear it. No one <laughs> wants to hear the truth because Howard Stern fans, as well as I know. Are fucking rabid lunatics. beasts. They're lunatics. They 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 are so evil on YouTube. I mean, wherever they can beat the shit out of me, they will. And I don't care, honestly. At this point, I don't really give a shit. Because you don't even need to be doing this podcast. You could just be sitting eating bonbons all day <laughs> because your husband's a big dick swinging lawyer. <laughs> you, you, you know, you have a house in Pennsylvania. You have a place. I, I, wait, TMI. Wait, yeah, TMI. Okay, at this yeah, point. okay. But I'm just saying, you don't really need to work. You bring this on yourself. <laughs> I I choose to have the abuse and. And, and you know, I'm I'm very blessed that somebody actually pays me to sit around on my fat ass all day to you know. See, I gotta figure out how someone pays me to sit on my fat ass. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and which which introduces me to my next guest, Roy McDonald. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, Roy McDonald is the owner of Bright Shot, the company that I am a partner of, which has the best LED lighting in the 
movie and TV business. Well, thank you, Steve. Yeah, um, we we started we, we started together about six years ago, where I met Roy at a party at a very despondent time in my life, which is sort of ironic. <laughs> not to be confused. <laughs> with that. Yeah, but not to be confused with right now. And uh, um, I I was a stand-in on The Sopranos, and any movie I'd ever done, I always hated the heat from the lights, and. I used to stand there, and the heat from the lights would give me a headache, and I met Roy at a party that he had at a place that he used to own called The Production Plant, and I was uh, really just dragged there by our friend Chris Munger, who's our music director, and I was like, uh, I, Roy was so upbeat and happy, and I was like really depressed and uh, like not wanting to be there, and Roy goes, hey man, you want to come see my new invention? I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and he's yeah, like, right. check it out. It's an LED light. Uh, it, it goes any color, any color temperature. It's got no heat. And check it out. It's got built-in special effects. And the moment I heard no heat, I stopped my thought and I went, you know you're going to hire me, right? <laughs> and then after 14 weeks of constant badgering, <laughs> yeah, I, I, got, I, I, got, I got you. I, wait, hold on. Not for nothing, but I got you a demo at the Ed Sullivan Theater with the the. Letterman. David Letterman. Yeah, at the time. And, really? then, yeah. and then two days yeah. later, I got him a demo at the Howard Stern show. And I remember going up in the freight elevator looking at Roy going, you know, this is your last freebie, right? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't and, say that out loud. No, I didn't. <laughs> 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 because, uh, and then uh, a couple of weeks later, I was hired. I think that was February of 2012. You remember that? Wow. I, well, wow. Because it was a very pivotal moment in my life. And I do remember that. And uh after that, uh, once I got on board, we uh, did a lot of demos, and we got on Blue Bloods, and we blew up, and they made me a partner in the company, and uh, yay, Bright Shot. Yay. yay. <laughs> bright Shot. And then we got Canadian Kate here. Say hello. Hey. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. Oh, oh God, no. <laughs> How you doing there, eh, Steve? Uh, <laughs> you just keep that up, girl. Cause, uh, All right. <laughs> another better. All right. Canadian Kate here. Uh, she's also a, uh, a, a employee of Bright Shot. And she's here because she kept harassing me to come on the show, so I had to have her come on. Oh, yeah, a little bit there. Yeah. Sorry, sorry about that. Yeah. Sorry all Sh about yo, that. Shouldn't you be in Toronto doing demos? Why are you here? Oh, you never know. You never know what's coming up. Let's not go down that road. Yeah. <laughs> so I got a great ensemble here today. I'm very excited. So, uh, well, I guess the latest topic, the thing that everybody's talking about is... Um, the R. Kelly video, like no, the R. No, Kelly the R. Kelly miniseries, miniseries, yeah. miniseries. Like, I, you know, I started to watch it last night because everybody was talking at the bar, and I, uh, I, I got so angry I really couldn't get through it. Really? What? Yeah. I mean, it, it was so compelling to me I couldn't stop watching it. And uh, the one question that just kept coming into my mind over and over was. Why isn't this motherfucker in jail? I mean, he just had a just, party. Yeah. He just had a birthday party for himself this weekend. Where he just who showed up? Four people? No, <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole the whole Hold fifth up. grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so school, it was a school trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bus pulled up, oh, <laughs> and half of them had hockey helmets on. <laughs> oh my god! Because well, you know, and then there's the parents, the poor parents that had to sit there and watch their kids get kidnapped by this. this Who's the predator? poor parents? Poor parents? It's the same thing with the Michael Jackson issue. Poor parents. They well, let he, their kids well, hold get on a second. by this every, every, Everybody across the board, once they see a celebrity, they tend to throw logic and reason out the door. Because, oh, my God, it's R. Kelly. Oh, my God, it's Michael Jackson. Oh, my God, my, fr my kid's seeing Michael Jackson. Like, oh, wow, R. Kelly's interested in helping my kid's career. You tend to not see what 
the potential can, what, what could it potentially happen? He married a liar when she was 15 years old. Tell me why yeah, that mother but, allowed that to happen. Well, but, not oh, only the yeah. mother, but the state. Well, no, no, they forged a... Well, forged nothing. She looked like she was 12, <laughs> let alone she was 15. Yeah, well, okay, if you, so you want to discuss that. Same thing with that boy who was, what, 17 years old who met Kevin, Kevin Spacey in a bar. What's he doing in a bar, number one? Tells Kevin Spacey he's 21 years old. And then, of course, being the old queen that he is, he is Kevin Spacey tries to grope him. Kevin Spacey's a queen? <laughs> wow, <well>, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Har- <laughs> Harvey Firestein's gay? <laughs> I just found out Charles Nelson Riley was gay. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, he... Harvey Firestein's gay? What? What? <laughs> and now he's trying to sue him because he groped him in a bar where he was having drinks and taking selfies with... Kevin Spacey. I, I, you know, I can't divulge any names, but you know, sometimes you, you hear these things in the backstage, and you know the person I'm talking about, Roy. Uh, there was somebody that I know that was a doorman, and Kevin Spacey frequented his the hotel, and he constantly harassed this poor guy because he kind of looked like David Arquette. You know, he was a handsome guy. Sounds you cute. know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, come up to my room. I want to read you poetry. You know, I want to do this. I want oh to do that. God. I know gay men like that. They are like almost predatory. They are. Oh yeah, yeah aggressive. Yeah, yeah, very aggressive. Mm. Well, there, there was a a DJ, and I can say it now because he's dead, and, and good for him. DJ I, dead. DJ. Yeah. <laughs> that's my new. That's my new DJ name. Uh, yeah, you're listening to uh, AfterShock with yeah, DJ, DJ dead. dead coming to you from the grave, <laughs> <laughs> straight from the box. <laughs> so, uh, his name was Mark Parento. Yeah, and he was a huge. BCN Boston DJ, mm-hmm. and you know uh, he was radio never that, DJ, not club DJ. No, no radio DJ, okay. like like you would see, like uh, say you know like Maria Melito or yeah. you know uh, whoever else is on uh, NEW or Q104. He was one of the biggest DJs. Like he was, you know, instrumental getting Aerosmith's music out there back in the day. Big Boston DJ for years, and he finally crossed over to New York and came to Q104 and. I was like, my friend was a DJ at Q104 at the time, and we actually hung out with Mark. And he was one of those people that were just completely, oh, yeah, I'm gay and I love little boys. And it was kind of like, you know, what, what, little. What, like, like <laughs> 15, that's what R. Kelly 15, said in the yeah. thing. Like 40 year old Filipinos that look yeah, well? No, or he, yeah, like, no, yeah, no, really he, no, he was like exactly 40, 14 or 15 year old like Filipino boys. Jesus Christ. They and used to hang out at the townhouse. Uptown. So he, yeah. um, and, and you know, it's kind of weird because he was, he was such a huge name and it was weird that he invited us to come and hang out at his apartment and smoke weed. And it was like, wow, it's cool hanging out with Mark Parento. But as he went on, he was talking about like how he loved these little boys. And then years later, uh, he went to jail for it. Boy, well, what was the My DJ God. that killed himself? Uh, didn't he have a similar thing going on? Uh, oh, Dave Dave Herman? Yeah. Yeah. That, Wasn't that uh, a There was another thing? one. Another one that uh, Dave Herman was uh, another huge WNEW back in Is his... Is he dead? Yeah, he's dead in jail. Fucking good for him. When he, I think he killed himself, right? Well, I don't know if he killed himself. I think it, well, he rotted in jail. That's for sure. Well, That's all I, I remember about what happened. But Dave Herman was a huge... DJ say in the seventies and eighties instrumental about breaking all like a lot of bands and like like huge. He was huge, huge and like huge like bands would come on on show. It was an honor. And then when K you know K Rock came around and they transitioned, he was like it was a big thing that he came over to K Rock. And who would have known? He like he was a cantankerous old fuck. Like Pete Fortatel was another DJ who was a sweetheart, but Dave Herman was 
like when I worked there, like he would not look at you, like you were just like a bug underneath his finger. Oh, he was such hot mm. shit. Yeah, and then he didn't like turn and look at me until I started working for Howard. And then he was like, "Oh, no, oh, hey, Steve," and I'm like. I've been working here for fucking yeah, fuck three, <laughs> yeah. three years, you asshole. Yeah, exactly. Now all of a sudden you know who I am. Meanwhile, on the other side, Pete Fornatello was like, he, he remembered your name as soon as things happened. He was such a sweetheart. And uh, Allison Steele, another one, perfect professional. But Dave Herman was a dick. And then years later, you find out he was diddling little boys. <sighs> Crazy. Well, yeah. You know what's is, funny to me about the whole thing? There's nothing funny about it. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Here comes the pedophilia joke. Some young guy. But here's the thing. We all know. I got a couple, but yeah. back... Go ahead, Roy. Let it go. <laughs> no, Roy, no, Roy, no, Roy, no, no, Roy. No, I won't. Wait, wait, hold on a second, no, Roy. All those are suppressed now. <laughs> Roy, ever since this shit came up. Roy, nobody's listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The day I say it, that's when everyone else will be listening. But, yeah. I, but you look at the like Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin always had these little girls coming on their buses and fucking the shit out of them and, and giving them blowjobs all the time. And it was accepted that your kid could be a groupie, you know, and just go out and go to these concerts and, you know, go lay a superstar. Well, look at the songs that were there. That's what, you know, the, and I've said this for years, you know, Sweet Little 16, She Was Just 17, you know what yeah. I mean? I mean, come Wait, on. Uh, Depeche Mode. Exactly. <laughs> Depeche Mode. I, no, no. Uh, there was a point. Uh, uh, little, little girl. Your little 15. Like, it's basically like, you're on my mind. What goes on? <laughs> it was basically saying like the guy was like pissed yes, off of that course. people were like gonna fuck his fifteen year old like girlfriend. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Don't stand uh, so don't stand so close to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's exactly what because he was a, that's a true story. Yep. Sting before anything when he was just like Gordon he was a teacher and the don't stand so close to me was about a student that he was like fucking yep. and he couldn't the, the the staff what goes on in their mind you know like it was kind of like all these like big rock stars are talking about like. Outright, oh yeah, I fuck, I fuck little kids. How old was the girl? Little. Well, she she was a student. I he mean, was a teacher. Well, in high school, with Sting, yeah, yeah, he oh, used to teach school. high school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Sting yeah. used to teach high school, yeah. and that don't don't stand so close to me was basically about what happened. He wrote. You know what I'm saying? You write the truth. Well, he did. Isn't that scary? Didn't they end up using that for like a deodorant commercial or something? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think they did. I'm not. I'm not. I'm Maybe not sure. in Canada. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> things, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because once the winter uh, once, once the winter's over, everybody just stinks. Yeah. They you fall know, off. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you don't need deodorant in the winter. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 that those, those commercials usually aired around April. <laughs> I just wrote a new. Song called All the Little Kids in My Van. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, wait, God. Steve, I have a question for you, and this oh, is going to circle okay. back to the guy okay, who's wait, coming wait, in. Also, uh, Jock, oh, go ahead. In. Jock. So, uh, so one of the questions somebody on my forum asked, which is RadioGunk.com. Yeah, promote that, please. Okay, I did. Thank you. And so his question was, since it's the 20th anniversary of The Sopranos, as you know, um, I know please. I was so pissed I didn't know them. about they're that they're playing them all over I know because everybody keeps calling me because they're like right. oh the pizzeria scene so please ask him about that experience who was a dick to him who was cool to him That's what on the know. Sopranos yeah oh man I can uh, name one dick uh, who's that <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I, I can talk about that I don't care so anyway everybody that was on that set which is kind of like an, I'm surprised I wasn't invited because I didn't even know. They had the 20th anniversary party for The Sopranos, uh, I guess Sunday night. And I had no idea. But usually, like, because I got invited to 
Jimmy Gandolfini's funeral, HBO would call mm-hmm. me because they go down the list. And HBO and The Sopranos were always great about keeping everybody in the family. And I know I was just a stand-in for three seasons for Anthony Jr., but they always, I always got, you know, a rap gift. I always got invited to all the premieres. They were always so great. Inclusive, about, right? Well, because well, it's it's definitely a status thing, and you know, stand-ins on other sets are down here, but The Sopranos always kept us like we were cast. And it was always great, and it was such a great experience to work on that show for as long as I did and to meet all those people. And I can't say that there's one dick... Really? ...on that set other than... <laughs> he wasn't a dick to me, but he was, he was a dick. So Who? that I, you know, I, I shouldn't mention. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so Who's all right, dick? let's call him Al. Let's call, let's call, let's call him dick. Let's call him Al. Okay. So Al was Al was a first AD that I had worked on. <laughs> you're such an ass, Monique. That's why I love you. <laughs> so you're in, you make me like when you're around. I just want to make you laugh just to hear your fucking cackling. You voice. complete me. Yeah, yeah, totally symbiont. Your so, guy, your guy is calling in, so I'm sure they're gonna okay, pick up. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. So we might have Jock calling in, and I'll hold off on The Sopranos, which is kind of ironic that Jock would be calling in as we're talking about The Sopranos. <laughs> calling in. He's calling in. Joaquin. <laughs> <laughs> Jock, if you're there. Hey, what's up? Uh, ah, my man. Hey. Okay, everybody. Hey. Uh, we got uh, Joaquin Garcia on the phone right now, uh, a.k.a. Jock, a.k.a. Jack Falcone. Jack Sounds Falcone. Like a porn name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jack Falcone. Jack Falcone. Uh, well, I'll introduce everybody. Uh, Jock, we got uh, Canadian Kate. Say hello. Hello. We got Monique. Uh, hello. Hello. And we got Roy McDonald. We, we got Roy McDonald here. How are you, brother? So uh, everybody's How are you doing, Roy. How are you? Good. Everybody's here. We're very excited to talk to you. Uh, a little. I give you a little intro, but I'm going to give you another intro. Uh, Jock, my friend Jock, also known as Jack, or also known as Joaquin, was. <laughs> the biggest FBI agent that uh, has ever graced this good country. He brought down more people undercover than Donnie Brasco. He brought down half of what? The Genovese family? No, it was the Gambinos. Oh, we took down uh, a couple of Genovese soldiers and captains, but more Gen- it fell strictly with the Gambinos. Well, and, and the funny part of all this is... He's my friend. (laughs) (laughs) So sorry. Well, when Steve says I'm literally the biggest, that's both literally and figuratively. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Jock's a big... Like, this is what's great, because if you looked at Jock, A, you would think he was a mafia guy. B... You would never think he was an FBI agent. <laughs> really? Well, because if, if you go by like central casting, it's not going to be Jock. <laughs> which, which I know people think I look like Bobby. Uh, what's his Steve name? Shirippa. The Steve yeah, Steve Bobby Shirippa. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and that's pretty apropos. But so, um, I met Jock at, of course, as I always reference, uh, Restaurant Fernelli, because you grew up at Russ. Correct. Right. Yes, yes. So he grew up at Russ. Met. You were the right. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So Jock, uh, he was uh, a regular at Brunelli's, and we became uh, close friends. And you were very close with me and my ex-wife Maureen. And you know, it's funny because when we when you first met me, you know, you were just doing like undercover drug buys down in Florida, right? Right. I was working pretty much uh, my whole forte in the bureau because I speak Spanish fluently. Is that I work narcotics, so. I was doing cases throughout the U.S., mostly in Miami, Puerto Rico, 
uh, Boston, some of the local places. So the reason we went to Brunelli's is not only is he a, somebody we known from high school days, but we had a little clique of guys. You remember that, Steve? Yeah, there, uh, there was guys there, there that was... Uh, we all played football together in school, and so they're really good friends. And of course, we went to you know patronize uh, you know Russell's and you know uh, business. So of course, that's where we met Steve, lovable guy. Not only is a bartender, he's probably, in my opinion, one of the best uh, was waiter at the time. He really was uh, always always had a smile on his face and as well as some of the other guys that Brunelli's had on his, uh, uh, on his payroll, guys like Gus, guys like Luca, and all of that. So it was just a fun place for us to go, and that we would go there quite regularly. But it was a hodgepodge of clientele from celebrities to gangsters to who knows what was there. And it was, uh, <laughs> the transvestites. It, it quite an interesting <laughs> place. And they had a great chef in, in yachts. He was one of the best. Yeah, Ignacio. Opinion, one of the top chefs in New York. Ignacio Leone, unfortunately, he's not a chef anymore. But he, I, I still crave the food that he made. And it ruined me for a lot of dishes like a pasta vajol or polenta. And, you know, like even like, uh, you know, a chicken scarpiello. I can't get the mm. same thing anywhere ever. So anyway, so Jock was there, you know, a Wednesday night was the big night, but he would also come every time he had a free moment. And I became close friends with Jock because Jock's just like a really cool motherfucker. And we that that's what cool motherfuckers do. You become friends. <laughs> so does that mean you're also a cool motherfucker? I, I well, I'd like to pretend. <laughs> How do you get into that club? I like to yeah. say everybody in New York is six degrees of, of Steve Grillo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what? Six degrees of cool motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, Jock would like kind of like, confide in me. I guess we, we can talk about this now because you're not working anymore, but he'd be like, yeah, I was down in Miami and I did this bust and then, oh uh, yeah, and I tried to buy this ecstasy and O.J. Simpson was in the middle of it and uh, that's a true story, right? Yeah, well, he was in the middle. He was, uh, a guy was picked up on one of the wiretaps that we were down there. We were working this ecstasy ring that provided all the nightclubs in Miami at that time. Um, all the ecstasy. So, of course, the guy we took down uh, was actually receiving calls from OJ, and OJ at that time was looking to buy some stuff from him and all of that stuff, but they chose not to prosecute him. So if you recall, there was one scene where they had helicopters going at his home and they caught him out of bed and they, they executed a search warrant. That was based on this case. It was called uh, Operation Ecstasy. Well, and, the weird uh, thing is, wait, 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 this is how you, but yeah. you got to say something. The, the real funny part For about, real. The, the real funny part about all this is the fact that this, this is, this is, this is a huge fucking thing and Jock's on the phone and he told me the day before, he goes, yeah, I, I, I was on the phone at, at OJ and, it's, and then the next day I turn on the fucking news and it's like on the news and I'm like, holy shit. It's weird that, like, you know, that you would just call me up. And I love the fact that, and I always kept it in confidence. And back then, there was no internet, kind of like, or there was no Facebook. So it was like, you would call me up and tell me these little, like, intricate details about these serious cases that went on. And I was just like, wow, this is so cool. And it got to the point where, like, Brunelli's, they had so many mafia people that it was being watched. And they realized that Jock was hanging out there. And they were like, why don't you just go undercover? <laughs> Since you're there, right? Is that the way it went down, Jock? Well, no, no. What happened was once I took on the uh, the mob case, because most of my expertise, again, was narcotics and uh, police corruption and you name it, I did it. Never really worked organized crime before. 
outside of Russian, which, uh, so what happened was once I took on the role, I knew I couldn't go back to Brunelli's because, you know, I knew the kind of crowd that would go in there. Guys like that jerk off Randy Pizzolo. Oh yeah. That's the guy that wanted to put me, he wanted to put me in a trunk. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's well, the first time I had to go to a sit down I mean, magic trick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Randy Pizzola winds up, uh, as you know, being killed, and he was the guy kind of responsible for the uh, uh, for Joe Messino and and Vinnie Gorgeous, uh, mostly Vinnie Gorgeous being arrested because he had a big mouth. I mean, we all knew that. Yeah. He would come into the restaurant like he was all that, and keep in mind that the mafia is supposed to be a secret criminal society. Yeah. This guy wore it on his label. I mean, he had neon lights telling everybody, look at me, I'm a gangster, you know? And uh, I think that was kind of the reason for his demise. He was, uh, you know, he was the new breed of gangsters that uh, are us. now existing, yeah. not like the ones that, uh, of course, we know from the Godfather or the old days. It was, yeah. uh, he was more of a, a guy looking to make money and get girls as opposed to do a way of life the well, way he was it also, originally was. He was, it was also created. on massive amounts of cocaine and steroids, which didn't help his mouth. Ew. Yeah, you know, I never understood that guy and realized even at the time when I wasn't working the mob, and actually when I took the case on, they asked me, were there any issues that I may have of anybody compromising my identity? I actually mentioned uh, Pizzolo as well as Gigi the Whale. I said, look, I've seen these guys... <laughs> At my friend's restaurant, I may run into them, but we'll avoid them. And throughout the case, my two and a half years infiltration into the Gambino crime family, you would hear the name Gigi the Whale. He was a very well-loved guy. He was part of everybody. Well, everybody did love him. He he was he was a fucking great guy, which is just weird that he had this unfortunate past. But everybody did love Gigi. Like he was like he was almost like a little kid. Where is he yeah, today? Yeah, he, he was an he was he came up to me once. He goes, "Hey, bro, let me tell you something. I found out that you're an agent. This is before I went in with the mob." I says, "Never in a million years would I have assumed that, you know." Oh. And uh, you know, he bought me a drink, and he always seemed cordial. Uh, wait, wait, wait nothing, I mean, that, Hold on a second, Jack. Jack, but uh, you know, there is a moment that I do remember. Uh, he said, "I want to buy everybody in the restaurant a shot, except for the fucking Fed." <laughs> yeah, that was Randy. Oh, that was that Randy. Was Randy yeah. Zolo. yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened was we were sitting there, like I said, with the guys. And keep in mind, you know, remember the time we brought Jim Gandolfini? We brought him in twice. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Jack, my friend Jack knew him, so we brought him into Brunelli's, and we got actually a nice picture of that. And we were all sitting there, and big mouth Randy Pizzola walks in like he's the big, uh, you know, chooch, and he goes, "Hey, buy that table a round of drinks, except for the Fed." Yeah. So I told him, I approached him, I said, you know, you got a big mouth. One day your mouth is going to get you hurt. And uh, and I said, I won't even take a drink off you. How's that, pal? And he says, I don't know what your act is. My act is, I have no issue. It's yours. So sooner or later, back after I left the case, we find out uh, in 2004, he was killed and found in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. In the back of a, lumb- by a in bunch the, of In the lumber yard, in, uh, in the, face down in the mud with two in the back of the head. It was in the post. And, wow. and he was killed strictly for having a big mouth. That's what Bastian Vinnie Gorgeous said, uh, the Bonanno boss. He told uh, Joe Messino in prison, he said, I whacked because he had a big fucking mouth, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, Jack, Jack, you know, that's so my hood. You knew that. Yeah. That's my hood. I yeah, actually grew was, up with Sonny Black's uh, daughter and uh, that whole family. I knew everybody at the Motion Lounge. That whole, you know, Donnie Brasco thing was really 
big. I mean, and and the mobsters, you, you didn't know well, what they did. What year yeah. was this? Wow. Well, right. you know, this uh, right. her, her years are probably in the 80s. Jock's years were the early 2000s. Okay. Yeah, I went in on the cover in 2002. Well, well, here's... Your time was really when the mafia was, uh, I guess, during its heyday. You well, know? I, I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, I was a kid. Of course... if, if you asked his daughter what your father did for a living, she said he kills people. I mean, there, there was just, <laughs> I mean, you know, there was a very insulated uh, group of mobsters there. But the, the crazy thing about this whole story is Jock was hanging out with all these people, and then he, as he's hanging out with them, and they all know who he is, he literally went undercover into another family that was closely related to everything that was going on. And he still brought down more people than Donnie Brasco. With, and, and the balls that you have, Jock, which I totally admire, is the fact that you were so easily recognizable considering the fact that how you, like, you, you, you hung out with all these people that were in the mafia at Bernelli's and you went into another crew and you infiltrated them and you still had people that you met in, in, in different yeah. meetings that, you, like, the, in your book you wrote, like, you sat there and then the, the girl Debbie came in and Debbie was a regular. Oh, my God, yes. And Debbie sat there at the meeting yes. and he thought he was definitely dead. He was like, there's no way that she, she should not recognize Jock from Bernelli's, but she didn't. I Tell just, Googled, didn't. I just I, Googled him. I yeah. said, there's no way you could miss who he is, yeah, right? I well, mean, but he's no, recognizable. But uh, the fact that there I was know. no there was no crossover <laughs> and that, that no one stuck you in a trunk or maybe the back <laughs> of a pickup. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but but it's it's weird what you say because, it, you know, it is true. Not only did I grow up in the Bronx, I grew up in the Bronx. I went to school in the Bronx. I went to Westchester Community College for a year, you know. So I, I knew that area quite well, and I knew, you know, the, the people. It wasn't that kind of thing. Mob was all about, uh, you know, that was, uh, I'm from the Bronx, you know, and uh, so what happened was, in that particular case, blew my mind. It was one of those deals hey, where, well, explain, so, I, so I you're, 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 you're at a, in, you, well, hold I, on a second, so you're at a, you're at a sit down, well, and, and they're having a meeting, a business meeting, right? No, we're having a lunch meeting, okay. and one of the guys who is uh, a soldier in the family brings his friend over, you know? And I spotted her right away, and I said to myself, oh, my God, this is it. This is over. She sat there, but I didn't – I tried to myself, well, you know what? Let me have a good meal out of this. Anyways, my last meal, yeah. you know? <laughs> so I'm sitting Jesus. around. We're talking, telling jokes. She's totally into talking to, to his, her friend, et cetera, et cetera. So when I walked out of there, I told the um, the case agent, well, look, I think it's over. And I said, what do you mean you think it's over? She said, yeah, that girl, I've seen her – at my friend's restaurant several times, I actually met her. I said, it probably, you know, she's going to go back. So, of course, we were up on wiretaps, and none of the information was coming around saying, hey, watch out for this guy, this guy, you know, stay away from him, he's a fed, etc." as if nothing happened. And to this day, I scratch my head trying to in disbelief that I was not compromised at the time. The only thing I, I could have mentioned is could have been that it was daylight, so it wasn't at nighttime, like inside Brunelli was always kept, uh, you know, in the dark. Or maybe she had a couple of one too many cocktails. I don't know. It's, it, or maybe she didn't want to say anything because she would have told him, like, hey, I see this guy at this place, Brunelli, and he may turn around and say, well, what are you doing at Brunelli's? You yeah, know? Well, so it was a mystery that she didn't uh, tell her uh, who I was. And, and the case, we kept going straight on. Well, you know, that's got to be a scene in your movie, no? 
Well, uh, you know, right now they 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 canceled the movie. But how do they can't? How could they make series. Donnie Bronco, or Donnie Roscoe, and not make you? Well, first of all, you have well, a be, you have a you have a best selling book. You know, you've been on like I, well, uh, well, actually, Steve, I think it's a better move because what they're doing is Steven Soderbergh, who is uh, the guy who's shepherding uh, this project. He wanted nothing to to do with Hollywood at one time. He was disappointed with them, and he went into TV. So now they're looking to do like a series about this. What they mm-hmm. uh, so. They scrapped the screenplay for the movie, and now they're doing a screenplay to do an episodic series, something they could maybe sell to Netflix. And, and it's going to be about an undercover FBI agent who works multiple cases, a lot of them simultaneously. And, you know, and he's able to pose as an Italian when I was born in Havana, Cuba. You know, so I posed as an <laughs> Italian. And uh, so that's kind of where they're going. I, listen, Hollywood is full of stories all the time what's going to go on and happen and not happen be green lighted and not if it happens great if it doesn't so be it jock uh, the, the, the path you, i'm on i you know i might be able to play you some point <laughs> yeah well you you need to bulk up you need well, to hang I, I, out with I, me for about two weeks i'm on my way two weeks. yeah <laughs> jock is now, that I'm the, i got wait, a question oh, for uh, the young lady who was talking about the uh with the donnie brasco and things those were those were really true mob times back in the in the days of in the seventies. Did she know Lefty Ruggiero? You said was the sister or daughter? So no, so Sunny Sunny Sunny's uh, family. Sunny Black. Yeah, I knew the entire yeah, wow, family, and um, yeah. yeah, I knew all of them actually. I mean, I I grew up like two blocks from the Motion Lounge. You know, and we'd go past there. They'd give us, you know, a couple of quarters or whatever, and we'd go get an egg cream from <laughs> from Scooch, which is yeah. this guy on the block. Scooch a man. Scooch a man. But, yeah, his house, his home was, you know, completely barricaded. There were cameras everywhere. And once you went into the door, you, you know, if we were doing a sleepover or something, you're locked in for the night. And, you know, her dad would maybe be there one or two days a week, maybe, and, um, yeah, but you know what? It was a very insulated, that whole Williamsburg Greenpoint crew of mobsters were incredibly insulated. And as kids came up, because they didn't go to college or anything, they would just join the mob. I had a really great friend named Stephen who started dealing drugs for them back in the early 80s. And, you know, one deal too many went wrong in Ridgewood, Queens. And next thing you know, he, he and his uh, friend partner were burned in their car and that was a classic way to kill somebody who was a kid at the time he was only like 18 or 19 but that was a classic way to kill them because your mother couldn't have a body to have an open casket yeah. wow that was the reason that they did it fucking oh guineas well you know as far as raising their kids a lot of parents do that but then there's also the other side a guy like uh, the chin gigante uh when john Gotti told him he says look i've made my son uh, junior, and he says, "Oh, really?" He says, "What a mistake that was." So he was in favor of not having his family become and go into the life because they knew the life, what it was like, and or, what it was becoming. Or, or maybe he so knew that, or, or maybe that he knew his that. son was a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that could also be true. <laughs> but you know, so sometimes people don't want their kids uh, to grow up into in their lives. Others do, and of course have. And uh, but. Yeah, but it's changed a lot from the 70s. I mean, it's still, like I said, back in the old days, it was more of a way of life. Now these guys approach it like in a business thing, 
And the reason for that is because of RICO. I mean, we, we have these RICO statues that are banging these guys for 20, 30 years. And, you know, but, after a while, they got to wonder, but Jock, that, you know, they're, they're, just, they're, they're just trying to make a living of the government <laughs> than it is the mafia. Nice because boys, they know the government's going to bang them for 30 years. So what's the boss going to do? You know, yeah. everybody's got to make a living, Jock. Why don't you back off? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you know, sure, who took no. over, you know, who took over for a lot of that business, though, going into like the 80s and 90s with the Colombians. The Colombians just took over a shit ton of the drug trade. And, you know, we're kind of leaving the, the mafia in the dust to just deal with, you know, hard money lending and gambling and, you know, shit like that. So it became a completely yeah. different well, business, I think, for them. Vito, Cor- Vito, yeah. Vito, well, but- Vito Corleone had a fucking he had a vision and nobody followed it. Don't, don't deal with drugs. Mm. Well, mm. you know, when I was out there, I remember the guy I was with, the captain, Greg De Palma, who used to own the Westchester Premier Theater along with some other guys. He specifically told me when they were looking to propose me to get straightened out, he says, are you involved in drugs? And I go, no, but you know, I told him my cover was, yeah, but I, I, but I was. He goes, well, I don't care what you did. But he says, you haven't been locked up. You haven't been doing any drugs for the last five years. And I said, no, the reason for that was the statute of limitation. What they are fearful of is the fact that you could flip on a drug charge, which carries a lot more than the racketeering. However, don't kid yourselves for one minute. Even though they're opposed to the drug situation, there is so much dealing going on because that's quick, easy money. And that allows them to do what the mob is set up to do, which is kick uh, kick up. The mob, everything flows upward. Nothing comes down. So if a guy is not earning any kind of money, he's going to be looked upon as some kind of brokester. But if he's making money, he's, of course, kicking up. That's going to look good in the eyes of his captain and the boss family. So yeah, but he's an the, earner. <laughs> but there's no way. He's an there, earner, right. There's no way the AG and the cops aren't going to, you know, arrest somebody and bump it up to whatever they possibly can and get them off the fucking street. I mean, that's just the way it works, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, Chuck- well listen, if, if the guys are involved of anything, usually around drugs, especially, then they probably their chances of being out there are going to be busted real, real fast because yeah. – there's just so much informants in the drug world, you know. But so uh, there's a lot of informants now in the in the in the mob. I mean, it used to be very far and few. Now you got to slap half these guys just to keep them quiet because they're all given up. And again, that they all have Facebook do... pages. Lacosanostra.com. Hashtag two in the back of the head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see my Instagram page. There's a selfie next to a corpse. I had 5,000 on my Twitter. Now I only got 495,000. Because I killed five yeah, of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my Twitter account, it goes up, it goes down. <laughs> down. So listen, Chuck, straight up, how how many people did you take down at the end? Well, we took down 33 uh, and then a second wave of around five others. Uh, and again, it concentrated with Gambinos, but then we took down some Genovese and uh, uh, guys with us and a couple of Lucchese guys. All those guineas so still in jail? All- huh. Uh, yeah, well, you know what? It's a slap on the wrist. These guys usually do a nickel and they go out five years. You know, some of them got a little longer, 18, 10 years and all of that. And, uh, you know, to, when these guys go to prison, it's like going to 
some kind of retreat. They go back and meet with their friends. <laughs> they get they, away from their wives. They, you know, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And they get to work out, and then they establish contacts when they go out. It's like Camp Kindaloon. Yeah. <laughs> Camp Kindaloon. <laughs> so, Jock, I know we're going to talk about your book, right? You know, anybody who wants to read up and do any research, uh, being Jack, Jack Falcone is the name of his book. Uh, anybody no, who's not int- being Jack Falcone, oh, it's called the making of. Jack oh, the making. Of my, my bad. The making of Jack Falcone, because I was there right. for the being of Jack Falcone. <laughs> uh, I, I actually watched him become Jack Falcone in front of me. So uh, the book is a real interesting read. It's got a lot of great information. It tells the whole story about how this badass motherfucker took down a bunch of guineas up in the Bronx. Um, Jack, and you, so is there anything else you need to plug, Jack? Jack. Jack? No, no, listen, I, I'm happy for uh, this show that you have going, uh, Steve. I think you're doing a wonderful job. It was great hearing uh, Mo's, Maureen's voice the other day, and I was a little scared about calling. And there I am. I'm not scared of, uh, of terrorists, muggers, and gangsters. But last time when I listened to your show <laughs> yesterday, I saw that parachuting into your show was uh, uh, Russ Brunelli and it was a discussion about diarrhea. So you're safe, buddy. Where am I Yeah, Yo, you know, you know I never set you up, buddy, and I want to thank you so much for calling in my show. Uh, once we get the cameras up and stuff like that, I'd love to have you come in as an in-studio guest when you're ready. Would love to. Guys, great. Thank you very much for having me. Lots of luck and success. Thank you. Thank you. You know, uh, and, and your show. And to everyone there, thank you very much uh, for being kind. All right, hey, Chuck. My buddy Chuck. Joaquin Garcia, making of Jack Falcone. You want to check out his book. You want to do some research. He is one of the baddest FBI agents ever. And he just called into thank my you, show. Brother. Yeah. Bye, Jack. Great. See you later, buddy. Bye. Thank you, brother. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye, folks. Bye. Bye. Oh, that, that you know that's pretty cool. You know, not for nothing for this little little rinky dink show that I got going on here. Uh, I just had one of the baddest FBI. Steve, agents. I could yeah. do two hours legitimately with that guy. Oh like, yeah, I can't even imagine his stories. Oh, it's it's amazing, and he'll tell you everything. I have so many questions in my brain that I want. It, it was ask just him. so weird because he'd call me up and be like, Steve. They want me to go undercover with the mafia. I, I, I don't understand why. I, I'm at, I, oh, they all know me from Bernelli's. I'm like. Jock, do what you got to do, man. He's like, oh, I don't know. I, and then he's like calling me. He was like, I can't. You can't call me, but I'll call you. I'm just curious how and, that works. Like, what if they wanted him to be a made man? Like, what if they wanted him to kill uh, well, somebody? Well, what do you do? Like, what well, do you do? I, well, I'm sure there's kill him. That, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Didn't they say that after uh, Donnie Brasco though? Like it, the whole case of Donnie Brasco it ended up thing. changing things, and now yeah. to be in it, you had to actually kill somebody. Well, you know something? what? It's also doing drugs. Like I watch a lot of the, you know, they have those uh, the thing on History Channel about. You know, all the bad, badass biker people. And, you know, like, these guys go undercover when they go undercover, say, like, under the Hells Angels or something like that. You know, a lot of times they scrape out a line of meth or they scrape out a they line of cocaine. No, but they're not oh supposed God. to. And, you know, and, and... How are you supposed to be credible if you don't? Well, I, you know, there was one thing I was watching. Was I like, could do the, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the killing people. Sure. Yeah. But, uh, but you the know, lines? And, and, yeah. it's, it's a crazy world. It's a, it's a crazy life being undercover. Like, well, you know, my cousin was... Uh, she, she was an undercover narcotics agent and she, you know, she had to go in and do buys and stuff like that and she used to keep a bunch of, like, fake pills in her pocket. So if someone said, I, I, are you a cop? And she'd be like, no. And she was... She's a pretty blonde girl with the fucking piercings and everything. And she tattoos. was carrying drugs. No, but no, but no, she had like a bunch of, you know, yeah, you know no, what I'm talking know. about. No, exactly. And uh, she'd have a pocket full of like, you know, aspirin. So when they asked her to uh, take a pill, she'd like have the pill and she'd take a fake pill. 
You know, they have they have their they have their methods, they have their backdoor ways to get over that whole entire situation. But you know, killing someone is well, my thing. I'm just yeah. wondering how yeah. you get away with not well, being I don't think that guy. Well, I don't think you actually pull the trigger, but to be a witness to a murder and not right. do anything about it and stop it is really the ethical question, I guess. Right. Oh God, that'd be. Yeah. I, I don't know how. So, yeah, so, do that. on a lighter on a lighter note. Wow, you know it's funny. We're <laughs> having... on, a, on a lighter note. Let's talk about R. Kelly again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was just gonna uh, say. It's, we're it's all... so funny because you said being being Chuck, <laughs> yeah, yeah, being, being R. Kelly. Kelly. That's yeah, what you gotta yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know it's funny. We're all sitting here laughing and having a good time talking uh, about the most horrific shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's the way it works. So yep. uh, I guess before uh, Jock called in, we were talking about the Sopranos and the twenty. Anniversary, so I was privileged enough to work on the first three seasons of The Sopranos, and I was also privileged enough to have a part uh, on the third season, third episode, where I get into a fight with Jackie Jr. in the pizzeria. So the story about that is, um, I had worked, you know, done a lot of PA work and stuff like that, and you get to know all these different, you know, there's the there's the director and there's the first AD and assistant director, the second AD, the second second, so everybody has their role, and. One of the ads that I had worked with in the past was—he was good to me. I'm not, not going to uh, Al. <laughs> Let's call him Al. Well, his uh, name Al, is Al. Al, <laughs> Al. Al was always very good to me, but Al also had a notorious reputation to being a fucking major asshole. Like, uh, not just to. He was a PA. No, he was the first AD. Oh, first AD. I was yeah. one of his PAs that he hired for a couple of different jobs. Okay, but he always loved me. He was a big fan of the Howard Stern show. Um, he didn't. Pay, he didn't pay special privilege. He just. He liked me because I did my job and I was there and I did what I was supposed to do. But if you fucked up, this guy let you have it, and he let you have it in a it way where, like... oh, he would just strip you down right there in front of everybody. And it's it's you can't get away with that anymore. But back then, you know, this was like probably uh, late '90s and stuff like that. You can get away with berating someone like and treating him like a piece of shit on set. Right, and what are you supposed to do? Walk away because then you won't work again. I mean, yeah, it's so stupid. no, exactly. So, but he would, uh, you know, hostage. so now he's also, you know, uh, working on the spread. You know, I, it's so funny because I'm telling the story, and anybody could research his fucking name, so I could just fucking say it. I don't care. No. Well, no, <laughs> so, um, so he, he uh, now. Wait, wait. Why don't we want to say his name? I'm just curious. He's... Well, because because he's huge now. Yeah, <laughs> he's gigantic. Not in a Joaquin no, way. No, yeah, well, no, 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 in a... no, no, and it, it's. The fact that, like, you know, he's executive producer for shit like, um, no, uh, Shine no, Down, no. <laughs> yeah. for uh, the Nickelodeon yeah, show, yeah, 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 yeah. Henry Dane, two birds, yeah, Henry yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he's like, he's really big. I watch the guy who's well, on that know, go, What the fuck, yeah, man? yeah. <laughs> so, I, I really don't have uh, any worries because uh, I, no one's listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'll get back to him, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so, but, uh, he was uh, no. He he got, he gets his first shot at directing. Okay, so it's a big deal for a first AD to, to jump up on the Sopranos. Okay, and um, I don't know this, and I get a call from somebody that used to, I used to freelance with as an agent, and she goes, "Oh, you, you got a you got an audition for the Sopranos," and I'm like, "Now you got to understand something." The guy he was a staff writer at the time, who's now gigantic, who did Boardwalk Empire and. Uh, I just know I didn't even realize he was um, part of um, the, the, uh, he wrote uh, shit. What was I watching the other night? It, it'll come to me in a second. But he's like anything that Scorsese does or anything that HBO does. He's like huge. Terry Winter 
used to sit at the bar at Bernelli's because he lived down the block and he'd be writing an episode of The Sopranos and come down to eat dinner at my bar and drink and we'd sit there and talk. And he'd be like, you know, Steve, I'm going to write you a part. And I was like, awesome, Terry, I can't wait. So now I get this audition for The Sopranos and I'm like, oh, whatever. Right. So like, so I, I go and I roll away to the audition and... <laughs> Wait, what? Can I tell you those fucking rollerblades are the bane of my existence on the website because everybody loves laughing about you on the private parts walkthrough that we did. Okay. Segwaying into a fucking rollerblading. (laughs) Yeah. About ten minutes. I love that. So uh, again, so so now I I, you know I rollerblade and I got a I got a bandana I got a bandana on, and you know because I I see you were sweating so I rollerblade to the audition and I walk in, and it was with Sheila Jaffe and. I just, I just might as well say you could look it up. It's fucking his name is Henry. So uh, <laughs> you just had to so, do it. I had, I just, uh, it's it's everybody's got a fucking uh, uh, library on their phone. Oh my God. So couldn't uh, back. So but listen, I'm not saying anything bad about the guy. I'm not bad mouthing him. This is a true fucking story. So all right, so it's Henry. Yeah. Help yourself. Yeah. Help yourself. I've got diarrhea of the mouth. What do you want? Diarrhea. I'm gonna Google him right now. So I walk Last in name and, and sounds I, like Constantine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brunch. <laughs> so I, I, okay. I, 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 I'm on the bandwagon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's hear this. Fucking start drinking again, Roy, please. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh my god. So I, I I I walk into the audition and I didn't know Henry was actually bumped up to director. So there's Sheila Jaffe and Henry sitting in the fucking room. And I walk into the room and it's I don't I get the the coldest greeting ever. Henry goes, "Oh, great. What the fuck are you doing here?" And I went, "Nice to see you too, Henry." And then I have the bandana on and and you know, this is something that goes back to my childhood and my mother. Uh I have the bandana on and Sheila Jaffe goes, "Take that schmata off of your head." <laughs> Take the schmata off your head. And now to me, that was something like that my mother would say. You know, and schmata is like a Yiddish word for rag. You know, so uh, I go, I look at Sheila Jaffe and I go, Mom? You know, and, and, and my line, all my line was just kiss my ass. So she immediately goes and reads the fucking thing. And so when I say kiss my ass at the audition, I'm really saying it to my yeah, mother. Right, right. So I'm like, Kiss my ass! <laughs> and I, I'm like, Ooh. whatever, no big deal. It's just one line, and I fucking walk out. And the next day, I'm roll on... I, I never... <laughs> yeah. <I'm>, the next, <laughs> roll out. Roll, I rolled out. Exactly. Roll out. Roll out. Keep them rolling. Rolling, rolling. There's a lot of songs with the word Get roll. Get those rolling. Gotta keep me riding dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that go? That went somewhere. Where did we go? Visual of you rolling out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My ride is so right. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta keep riding dirty. (laughs) So I roll, I I roll out, and then the the next day I'm on set, and I remember because it was it was like AJ was on the football team, and we were at some high school in Jersey, and I get. A beep from my, <laughs> I get a beep from the agent girl, and she goes, "You got the part," and I'm like, "Shit!" I'm like, "Terry Winters said he was gonna write me a part." I'm like, "Do I take the part?" So I of call, I, I, no wait, I, well, I call up Terry, and I'm like, "Terry, I'm like, I, I, I just got a, a part," and he's like, "Which one?" I was like, "The pizzeria scene," and he's like, 
that's great. I was like, but do I take it? You said you were going to write me something. And he goes, do they kill you? I go, no. He goes, then take the part. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, you know, I take the part. And you know, I don't think anything of it because the lion would just kiss my ass. I, I didn't right. know I didn't know if Henry gave it to me because it was me or anything, but I didn't think that he would. But I, I, I so I go and then we shoot the scene and now you know it's kind of weird because like when you're on set as a stand in you don't get a trailer, you don't get anything. But if you do like a scene where you have lions, you call the day player. No, no, <laughs> you, you, you you actually get you get a room in a trailer, which is really? a big deal. So so here I am one day as a stand in and the next day I've got my own trailer room, which is like and now all the people that I work with are have to go would you like anything to eat? You know, like, you know, they're all like, really? You know? So, and now the next day, um, I'm, we're shooting a scene in the Sopranos kitchen and I'm reading the sides, which is basically the lines or the scenes they're going to shoot for the day. And as a stand, you had to know, you had to read everything to make sure you know where you where had you to be in. and stuff. <clears throat> so I'm in the kitchen by myself in the Sopranos kitchen that the lights are kind of dark and I'm in there and no one's on set. They're on another set. And Henry walks in and goes, I just want to tell you, you did a fucking fantastic job. I was like, oh, uh, thanks, Henry. He goes, and I also want to tell you that I did not give you that part. You got that part because you were the best one. I went, Henry, my line was just kiss my ass. I was like, <laughs> he goes, he goes, I didn't want to give it to you. If you would go back and if I could show you those audition tapes, you were the best one and I didn't want to do it, but you did a fucking great job. Jeez. And if you tell anybody that I just told you this, I will have your ass thrown off this fucking set and you will never work on The Sopranos again. Do you understand me? I went, Okay, Henry, thanks. <laughs> Jesus. So I'm telling Roy this story. No, let me finish. Let me, all right, so okay, yeah. this is, the, this is very you. quick. Yeah. So we're in the car. He tells me the story. And he, he, As we're going uh, to, uh, to, to Steiner Studios. We're going to Steiner right. Studios, and we're going to go to Boardwalk Empire or yeah. Gotham or whatever we're going to. And uh, he's telling me the story, and then he goes... And as we're walking up to the door to go in to find the people that we need to for our lights, Steve says, and he was just such a dick. And the door opens up and he goes, Henry. And I go, <laughs> and now in my mind, I go, this can't possibly be the wow, same fucking guy God. he was just yeah. talking about. Because he hasn't seen him in like 10 years or yeah. something. Wow. And he goes, hey, how you doing? And I go, First is person that the you same see. fucking guy? Goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That would only happen to you. Oh, yeah. and really, you, you will these things into your existence. I, yeah, you're it's 100% really, correct. It's really interesting to see that. <laughs> I was like, and the funny thing is, like, you know, Gretchen Maul, the model who is also uh, an actress on Boardwalk Empire, on Boardwalk Empire was yeah. sitting outside, like, reading a book, and she kind of hears the end of the story. Oh, no. And, and then and as I open the story, I go, Henry, she, she starts crying. She, she looked up at me, and she got a big Because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, is this really, you know, like, yeah, but she, she just, got it, like, in two sentences, she got it. Yeah. She's it, reading her lines, and she looks up at me, and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, I, you know, I, was, I, I, I saw everybody on Facebook from The Sopranos and all this stuff, and I was... Kind of, I, I can understand why I'm not invited because I was just like a brief moment in the first three years. But I'm still friends with a lot of people on set. Uh, Louis Patragula, who has a fucking great bakery upstate New York and uh, Liberty, New York. Um, it's uh, Bobo and oh Jesus, I, I hate being on the spot. Who did we see in the pizza parlor that time at Long Island? We were doing Spider Man. Oh, that was um, uh, <laughs> the one who was gay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> How do you say it? No, it, uh, uh, Joey uh, Maniscalco or something like that. And I never worked with him, but you know, there's people that I never worked with. But I've worked with uh, Steve Sharippa, who's an unbelievably wonderful professional. Michael Imperioli, who I used to hang out at his bar, and we used to have fun. He used to have a bar on Seventh Avenue. Robert Eiler, who I was a stand-in. You know, he's still a great kid. 
Uh, I bump into him every once in a while. Edie Falco, who I saw on the, the set of Nurse Jackie, and she stopped in her tracks and was like... Very uh, nice to you. She yeah, and she gave nice me a big you. fucking... Everybody on that set was just so amazing. Do you know John Ventimiglia? I, I, I've, I've hung out with John. Like it's not <laughs> like my I, friend's I, brother. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I've partied with them, but we were both so fucking shit faced that <laughs> I could not. I could. I could understand why he would not remember me. But um, that was Artie Bucco, and uh, and then also right. uh, Federico. Castellucci, right. who played uh, what? Federico uh, Castellucci. Castellucci. <laughs> That's a great name. Who's uh, who's also you know like uh, you know I I text him and he always get back to me. Uncle uh, Uncle Uncle Junior. Junior. He's always at Steve's. Like, I always see him. Let me tell you something. That man is such a nice man. And he's like, you know, he played Uncle Junior. And when I did it, when you get a part in a series, you have to go to the table read where all the actors sit around and they read the episode and they just all see what's going on and feel. So um, uh, I can't think of his name right now, but I just say Uncle Junior. Uh, he comes up to me after the script read and he goes, Hey, uh, I, I know you. I said, Well, yeah, I'm. AJ Standen, he goes, no, I know you from something else. And I was like, really? He, I said, the Howard Stern show? He goes, no. <laughs> he goes, wait, were you, you in Grandma Sylvia's funeral? No. <laughs> and I went, no. yeah, he goes, I saw you in Grandma Sylvia's funeral. I was like, you, what? <laughs> I, like, you remember you from Grandma Sylvia's funeral? I was like, I so can't. So random. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I could not believe that Uncle Junior remembered me from Grandma Sylvia's funeral. That's just fucking crazy. But they were all such great people, and it was such a privilege and an honor to be able to work. There were so many big actors. Like, Steve Buscemi was on there, and he he was a director. Um, there was, like, you know, you got, like, uh, Joey Pants, Joe Pantaleone. He was another great guy, another character actor that has been, like, one of my favorite movies, Midnight Run, to be able to work with him on a daily basis, and he was just so nice and gracious. What about Stevie Van Zandt? Did you work with him at all? You know what? I, 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 a lot of the, he, great Stevie Van Zandt story. Um, I didn't necessarily work with a lot of the extraneous people. Like, maybe there was a couple of big scenes. I remember there was that one scene that shot for 16 hours. It was a, Christ, it was, it was, it was a Christmas scene where it was like, where he... Uh, it was when you remember those fishes where you push the button and it'd be like, "Take me to the yes. river." <laughs> Billy Bass. I remember this? Yeah, Billy Bass. <laughs> Billy so Bass. it was like uh, Meadow gave Tony that Billy Bass uh, <laughs> for, and, and you remember that whole scene where, where after he killed his friend Big Pussy, um, the fish started talking to right. him. So now he gets a present for Billy Bass, and it was like a whole big anxiety scene. But all those guys were there on set, so th- I only get to see like someone like you know Paulie Walnuts or Billy Stevie Van Zant. On those special days where, like, it was a big scene. But I was bartending at this restaurant down in Tribeca, and Stevie Van Zandt came in just to take a takeout order. And I was like, uh, hey, Stevie, I'm, you know, I was AJ Standen. We didn't really work that much together, but, you know, he goes, get the fuck out of here. Oh, come here. Give me a hug. We're family. <laughs> and, like, you know, say the bill was, like, $50. He tipped me $50. Like, it was, wow. like, he was like, you know, uh, you're probably, you worked on the set. You're family. We're family. Like, it was like, but it was like that. Like, working on The Sopranos was, like, being part of the family. And they, they obviously, if you see all the pictures and what they've been doing, they still keep it like that. And I guarantee you all of them stay in touch. And the death of James Gandolfini was definitely a blow to every single one of us. Even though mm. I wasn't as close to him as they were, I had my special moments watching him. I also, a couple of moments hanging out with him. And he was that nice of a person. He was that cool of a human being. And he was, like, I remember sitting on set watching James Gandolfini and Edie Falco work. And I'm like, people pay 
hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to NYU acting school. Right. Or the best acting school in the world. And I am getting paid to watch them act. And yeah. it was better than going to any acting school you could ever go to. Yeah, you know, the only wow. thing you can say about James is the fact that, you know, we always say this stupidly on my website, but he died doing what he loved. He was in Italy, you know, with his family, having a great meal. And, yeah. right? And then he. Well, at dinner he died? He, I, I he died I, later on. He yeah. in the uh, hotel. But, but he was so close. Uh, he loved his son so much. Right. I can't imagine. I remember, like, because when I, I had a pizzeria in Hell's Kitchen, and while he was doing the play that he was in, he would order pizza all the time, I would, which he loved the macaroni and cheese pizza we had, which oh, I, I, when he did pass away of a heart attack, <laughs> I always like kind of, I always kind of oh, felt no. a little guilty. Oh. But, like, you know, basically his assistant, Jeff Marchetti, was like, Steve, if he calls, just don't. Don't deliver it, you know. Like, <laughs> he, he liked it with a uh, truffle oil, so we had a, oh, we had a bottle of truffle oil. That the truffle oil was it's expensive as fuck. Yeah, it just said um, James on it, and you weren't allowed. Really? Do not touch. <laughs> Macaroni wow. and cheese pizza with truffle oil? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. that sounds like the ultimately <laughs> greasy pizza so. you could possibly imagine. No, yeah. I, I, it was actually delicious the way we did it. But yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we had Hell's Kitchen pizza, me and Russ Bernelli, and uh, it was a great run. But you know, like I'm going there, and like one day the delivery guy didn't show, and I had to go and deliver the pizza. And like watching him with his son, and how excited they were, and how he treated his son. Yeah, I saw him at a net game. No, he no he was he he no he 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 was doing a play. So oh, it was right, like, right, right. It was in between, uh, you know, he was doing, it was like a Wednesday where you do two shows and yep. he ordered the pizza and just, and the funny thing is like, I had a really long goatee at that point and I was covered in like pizza shit and he, he looked at me and he's like looking at me going, I was like, yeah, and I said, so on the way out, I go, I, I, you know, I, I was AJ Stan and he goes, that's where I knew you're from. Get over here. Give me a hug. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, he was looking, he couldn't figure it out because I looked totally different and I was covered in shit. But, um. <laughs> <laughs> this, working on The Sopranos was definitely um, an amazing point in my life, and I was blessed just to be there. I, you know, I it, it, I would have stayed. They asked me to come back, but like what happened was, is like nine eleven happened, and uh, Terry uh, Gandolfini, Sharippa, um, one of the directors, uh, Timmy Van Patten, and Michael Imperioli all lived down in Tribeca, and they all had to move out of their apartments, and they postponed that season. They didn't shoot that year, so I had to. Uh, so they took that long break and that long break and the nightclubs that I was working, basically uh, I didn't work for a really long time. And I, I wound up having to drop out of the business entirely and then become an electrician, which cause everybody in my family was like, what happens if this happens again? What are you going to do? So I, I wound up becoming like a legit person for like five years. No, no, I hate it. it, was, it was, no, no, no. No. <laughs> no, I didn't really see that. With I, you. I know. I, yeah, you know? I don't. I, it was. Uh, you know. I respect that union. I respect the work. I think it's a great thing, but for me, it was just basically trying to pound a square peg into a round hole. Really? Yeah, and it was most miserable experience for me. I didn't mind the work, but the people that I had to work with, and the. Uh, Nepotism and shit um, that goes on well, behind the scenes. All those high-paying yeah. jobs are all nepotism. You know, nepotism um, so is I don't, everywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I really, I, I don't regret. Even in the situation that I am, like people go, "Oh, you could just go back to work." I, I if I would have finished the program and got a card, and they're like, "Well, you could just shelve your card and come back anytime you want," I wouldn't have shelved it. I would have dug a six-foot hole and buried it and never went back. <laughs> to it. Really? Yeah. That it's just, it just. I can't deal with stuff like that, and I just, I'd rather, I don't know, I'd rather not do it. 
That's yeah. the best way I got it. Then you became a concert pianist right after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Did you say pianist? Yeah. <laughs> you are a concert pianist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. A, a concert pianist? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a fucking prodigy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> all right, everybody. I'm going to have to wrap up this show. I'm having so much fun. I could do this for fucking three hours. But we have to thank Pro Media for this wonderful studio. They thank brought. you, Pro Media. Yeah. 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 It looks beautiful, uh, by the way. Yeah, yeah, um, amazing. amazing. Uh, yeah, the studio's coming around. Uh, we should have a new desk soon. Um, pretty soon, not only are you going to have to listen to my voice, you're going to have to see my ugly face. Yeah, because this uh, <laughs> yeah. door with the splinters is yeah. fucking <laughs> um, Pro Media is uh, a wonderful facility, so professional. If you want to do a podcast, you just contact Chad at ProMedia, uh, ProMedia.com. They are so professional. They have wonderful staff here. I got my uh, engineer Max in the back and Scott. Yeah, one of, I know I could say Scott's uh, basically a producer. He produced the studio for me today, and my executive producer Bobby Zoo. Everybody Bobby say Zoo. Bobby, Bobby Zoo. Bobby Zoo. Bobby Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, thanks to him, we got uh, Versteiner beer. Uh, they have wonderful selection of which I beers. drank in Germany. Yes. Oh, I really? I swear to God, I meant to tell you. Oh, how could you not tell me that? <laughs> Roy's a big fan of Rosh Beer, and so am I. Their Pilsner is so amazing. 6.2% alcohol, so you can get loaded off oh, with just yes, a couple please. of them. Oh, <laughs> oh God, ooh, no. Ooh, 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 good. Yes, please. God knows Canada loves their beer. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And we got the DCL Firm, who is an amazing bunch of people that will go out there and they will fight to get money back for you. They have so many different things to offer. If you go to DCL Firm, testimonials.com, you can go there and find out exactly how many people they have helped because they have a long list of people they have helped. And I want to thank James and DCL Firm for everything they've done for us and for me and for the uh, Aftershock XL show. And um, is there anybody else I'm missing, Bobby Zoo? <laughs> We're good. All right. Thank you, everybody. I want to thank Canadian Kate. I want to thank, thank Monique you, from Radio Gunk. Woo! You got a plug there? I did. Radiogunk.com backslash forums. And we're on YouTube and iTunes and Spotify and all those good stuff. And also, we got to thank Bright Shot. Bright Shot is the reason why I'm sitting here. Bright and Shot. Roy McDonald from Bright Shot. And yeah. you go to brightshot.com. If you're shooting a movie, a TV show, or if you're just shooting like you know a baptism or anything like that. You and, know can what? I, and can I get a quick plug in, too? Of course you can. Uh, I have a new website called uh, 12 Kids in a Van. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. Sp- sponsored by R. Kelly Productions. <laughs> Becoming. Pedophile. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Make, making oh, R. Kelly. My God. <laughs> fucking cocksucker. I hope he. Hope he uh, I, I hope he fucking wastes in hell. And that's, on that note, motherfuckers, thank you for being here. I love you all. Bye. Peace. Bye. Peace. Bye.